You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.mbcocala.com. Let's uh, pick back up in our in-training series here. Anybody in training? <clears throat> I hope to get all of you in training. And uh, let's, let's read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I'll be reading this from the New Living Translation. It says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas or old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Paul uses the analogy of physical training, athletic training, uh, in terms of our spiritual life, godliness. And uh, there is benefit, and you need to understand this, spiritual training, um, training for godliness does not just impact the future and eternity. It has benefit, as we just read in verse 8, it has benefit in the here and in the now. And so we need to be in training. Now, kind of the pivot, excuse me, kind of the pivot statement that we have worked off of is a lot of us are trying, everybody say trying, we're trying to do some things that we actually should be, what? We should be training. How many of you know that if somebody is going to be a pilot, we prefer that they be trained or a surgeon or even a cook, you know? Not just trying to do, or even just to cut your hair. Let me try it. No, we don't. We we, we want to see a little certificate on the wall and and a, a, a line of clients or something. You know, you don't want just trying, training. And when it comes to our our life in Christ and following Him and trying to live this thing out, um, how many of you know living this Christian life is it's difficult? No, it's not. It's impossible without him, without connecting upright with him. But there's so many things in our Christian life that we're trying to do, trying to overcome temptation, trying to be nice to people, trying to do this, trying to do that, when actually we can train. And that's part of the purpose of the, the New Testament epistles and the, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit and actually the interaction that you have in a local church. All of that comes together and Christian friends is to help us to train so that we can truly be overcomers in this life and not be overcome in this life. Can I get a Yahoo or something from anybody? Okay. All right. Good deal. Now, our goal, because there always must be a goal to your training, you know, otherwise it's going to get monotonous. You're going to start to resent it. You're going to lose interest. We have a goal and uh, see if you can remember this. Uh, I'm just going to put up some some starter things here. Uh, The goal is to be, uh, okay, let's back up there, to be happy, okay? What's the next one? Stable. What's the next one? Fruitful. What's the next one? Blessed so that we can be what? And what kind of blessing? A big one. Now, you can't just try to be happy. Guess what everybody is? And I, I say don't abandon the effort. But just trying to be happy, trying to be stable, trying to be fruitful, trying to be blessed is not going to get it. If that would get it, we would already have it. But what we have is through training, the results of that will be that you will be happy, stable, fruitful, blessed. But the ultimate goal of being happy, stable, fruitful, and blessed is to be what? 
is to be a blessing. It's not just, I just want to be happy. I just want to be stable. I just want to be fruitful or whatever. No, no, no. The, the goal is that we might be a blessing. God is fixing us up so that he can use us. That's the point. Okay. So you can't get there by trying. You have to do this. This is the result. This is the fruit of training so that ultimately you and I can be a blessing. And that is the goal. Keep that goal in mind. And these things will happen. You kiss, keep showing up at training. You keep applying yourself toward it. And over the course of time, what you do day by day will take you to your future. And I believe in for all of us, our future is that we are more happy, stable, fruitful, blessed. And we are a bigger blessing than we ever thought that we could be. Amen. Now, training affects uh, three different areas of our lives. Why is he writing on the board? Because it helps us to learn. Because if you see it also, it's going to drive it into you. And my goal is to get you to understand and retain. Because if you can understand, then the devil can't take it away from you. And if you can retain it, then you can do it. Okay? And and who is the one that is blessed? Not just the one who hears, but the one who does. And he can't, he can't does. If he doesn't understand and if he, if he doesn't retain, if he doesn't remember. And so I will do all kinds of stuff. I'll have you repeat things. I'll bring a puppet out if I have to. I'll write on here so that, so that we can all get this. Now, our training is going to directly affect three areas of us. First of all, how we think. How many of you know sometimes you have stinking thinking? Okay. It affects how we think. It, is, it affects how we speak. And it affects what we do or how we act. Now, how many of you would agree with me this morning that if we change the way we think, speak, and act, it probably would have great bearing on us being more happy, stable, fruitful, blessed, and being a blessing. And maybe, you know, that would have much impact. And do not underestimate, okay? This is the least of it, actually. Everybody focuses on this. This is the least of these. It's right here and it's right here. You have no idea how powerful it is, what you think and how you speak. And we'll be getting into these in weeks to come. One, okay. You scared me, Donna. Uh, One of the things, one of the aspects of how we think deals with our view of God. And this is probably the most important thing in your thinking that you need to be very clear on is your view of God. I spent some time on it two weekends ago. I had Pastor Mike uh, last week share some things. He had some unique ideas out of the first few chapters of Genesis there on God's view and attitude toward us. It's very important. Let me just ask you a a couple of uh, prompting questions here on your view of God, really. And I know if I asked you to answer out loud, you would give me the right answers. But I, I, I don't want you to answer me out loud because I want you to have the real answers on on the inside of you. Where, where is this? Uh, what is your view of God? How big is God? Yes. You know, is your God big? Amen. Uh, is, don't answer out loud. Oh, okay. Linda, contain him. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, we say, if I ask you, is, is your God big? Oh, yes, yes, he's big. Then why are you worrying? You see how your thinking and your view of God affects things? Is God bigger than your problems? Is he, 
Is God bigger than your problems? Yes. <laughs> okay. Here we go. God is bigger than your problems. Okay. But when we, when we, and we don't purposely do this, but our minds sometimes, if we're not viewing God in the right way, then we're worrying and we're viewing our problems as just massive. Does God love you? Is God for you? Does God care? Does God even know? Has he forgotten about you? Were you leftover flesh? And well, let's make a couple more and, you know, and just, and just put you out. No, no, God, here's what you need to know about God. God is for you. God is with you. And God will help you. If you will get that in your view of God, God is for you. God is with you. God will help you. And you need to know that he is huge. He's all powerful, all knowing, everywhere present at once. And God is good. And we've got to have that in our view of God. That is huge because that affects every, every other thing. Now, we are in training, not just for maintenance. Sometimes you train, you have kind of maintenance mode, but I want to break us out of just maintenance mode. And here's the other thing. Some people don't even have that mode. It's just, well, whatever, you know, but we need to stay in some kind of maintenance mode. And again, Paul is using that analogy of athletic training, physical training, and we're applying it to our, our spiritual walk, our life in Christ. Y'all with me? Bob, your head, do, do something. Okay. All right. So as we, as we do this, we don't want to just have maintenance. We want to have some increase. We want to have some progress. We want to have some growth in our life. So let me put up a couple of words here. Why is he writing on the chart? I already told you. couple of words here that are, they're going to help us here. First of all, life is not static. Do you know what static means? It means no change. Just kind of there. It's not moving. Just not like static electricity, which does relate to this because static electricity, that's actually uh, an electrical charge that's landed on something that won't conduct it, won't absorb it. So the next thing that comes along, that's why you shock each other sometimes. That's why your hair stands up sometimes, you know, the, the static there. But it's just there. It's not absorbed. Nothing's really, it's not being conducted. But nothing in life is static. Let me give you a, a couple of examples. And things cannot stay the same. How many of you know that once you've dusted the house, it's time to what? Dust again. Once you've gotten the yard all clean and cut and manicured, it's time to what? Time to do it again. You finish painting the bridge. It's time to do it again. You change the baby. <laughs> time to, you let the dog out. It's time to do it. it. You know, you just finished the dishes from cooking this great meal. And guess what? They're all hungry again. You know, it, nothing is that way. Relationships cannot be static. You're either moving forward or you're sliding back. You can't, it just does not stay right there. And you have to go past maintenance. Do not let maintenance be your standard. You've got to be leaning forward on this. And our Christian life is not static. And so what we have to hunger for and really lean into and make a priority is progress and growth. Stagnation and being static does not bring joy. You need to know this. That does not bring joy. It actually brings weakness. For something to remain stagnant, it grows weak. If you just leave something on the shelf, be it batteries or cologne. Given over the period of time, it will weaken. Stagnation does not in your life produce joy. It actually produces weakness. What produces joy? What produces strength, growth, and progress? How many of you know that when you got a good grade, you were excited? Yes. 
When a project comes together, you're excited. How many of you remember, how many of you can whistle? Man, Saturday night crew can whistle. I mean, we got a bunch of them. But I remember when I first could whistle and I was just thrilled and I've never stopped whistling. I, I just whistle all the time. There was joy in doing that. Okay. And, and how many of you remember when, when you first learned to tie your shoe? And maybe you're just wearing Velcro here. <laughs> okay. Or how about this? My, my daughter Greta, and she's now 15, but when she was much younger and smaller, we would go to Disney and she wanted to ride Space Mountain and she was too short. And then we go, well, let's go check. And we go up to the little measuring thing. She's too short. You know, that brought her no joy. But guess what? When the day came and her little head brushed the top of that little deal, she had grown enough. Great joy. Great joy. Growth and progress brings joy to our life. And the joy of the Lord is our what? Is our strength. Now, we cannot stay the same. I pray that all of us will have a holy frustration and will not just leave things as they are. And I pray also that you'll break out of the mindset that we get lulled into sometimes. We, we even get cultural sayings sometimes such as this. It's all good. Look at me. It's not all good. A couple of years ago, I, re, I remember, uh, and I do ride-alongs with the sheriff's office as a chaplain. I remember uh, this young man had created a mess for his family, a mess for himself, all kinds of things. He's going to have a lot of fallout from this. He's now arrested. He's in the back of a, a deputy's car. I'm sitting in the front. Deputy's there. And, and the guy goes, hey. And we turn around. Yeah. He goes, it's all good. I couldn't help it. I turned around and said, no, it's not. It's really not. And see, sometimes we use that as just kind of our reset button. No, it's all good. It's a denial. That's denial. It's not all good. How many of you know there's, there's relationships in your life, there's situations in your life, there's all kinds of things in your life that need to be better. And that you could be more happy, could be more stable, could be more fruitful, could be more blessed, could be a greater blessing to other people than you are right now. Then don't cop out and say, it's all good. Because it's not all good. And it can be better. But we've got to apply ourselves in these things. Don't allow life to be static. Don't allow it to be static also because of this mindset. Well, I could never make any progress. Things don't work out for me. I've tried before. Well, we're not talking about trying anymore. We're talking about training now. In training, we're going to get someplace that we could not have gotten just through trying. Amen. Now, uh, let me just put it to you this way. Running from home plate to third base is only cute when you're about three or four years old. And, you know, if we're adults and we're still running this thing, doing this thing the wrong way, we don't understand what's going on. That's no longer cute. That's no longer funny. It's time for us to let's get this thing down. Let's understand what we're doing so that we can maximize in this. Amen. Now, progress. And I want you to think about this statement. Progress, which is what we're after. Progress is usually preceded by crisis. Hear it again. Progress is usually preceded by crisis. We don't like crisis. I don't like crisis. But if we'll understand that as it comes, we're going to handle something and there will be some progress to come out of it. And life is full of crisis. How many of you have already had some crisis this morning? Probably. 
I'm, I'll tell my wife real quick, not embarrass her. She had a dress she wanted to wear this morning. And it had a big old spot on it. She said, do you think people will see that? I felt like that Geico Abraham Lincoln commercial. What was that? That was a crisis. A little one. It was a crisis. Some of you, maybe all your horses got out or your, somebody stole your car or something this morning. I don't know. You know, there's other crises. There's people across the nation today, you know, flood waters and fires and, you know, family things and crisis all over. Big things, little things. Life is a continuous cycle of crisis and process. So progress is usually preceded by crisis. But I want to reveal something to you about this word crisis this morning. First of all, let me go back to static. We don't stay static. Life is not static. We don't stay there. So crisis. Crisis actually has two meanings. First of all is what I just described for you. Some kind of upheaval, some kind of setback, some kind of problem, trouble, difficulty, catastrophe. We've had those kind of crises. But then the other meaning of crisis, and it all works the same. The other meaning of crisis comes to us originally from the Greek and then into the Latin and then into Middle English. And it simply means this. Crisis means this. You ready? Decision to decide. So guess what? Either way that you look at crisis, there's going to be a decision. So progress is usually preceded by crisis. With that, with the type of crisis that's some kind of setback or upheaval or problem, you know, inconvenience, whatever that would be, you're going to have to make a decision. Sometimes the crisis is this. The doctor says to the patient, um, unless you stop eating this way and lose some weight and stop smoking and doing this, you stop those things or else. Guess what? It's crisis. And it what? It demands an answer. It demands a decision. You have to make a decision. I'm not going to do that. Or I, I'm going to have to do these things. And you start to technically get into training. Or as a parent of a teenager, you may say, uh, you clean up your room and you stop talking back or else, guess what? They're in crisis. Which means what? They have to make a decision. They have to make a decision. Maybe you've got something around your house that you haven't fixed. You knew it was kind of messed up, but you didn't do anything with it. And now because of weather or something else, it's even more compromised, creating a crisis for you. Guess what? You've got to make a decision. Progress is usually preceded by crisis. Progress is usually preceded by a decision. You have to make a decision. But I would prefer that we make our decisions not because we have some upheaval or catastrophe in our life. Wouldn't it be better that we made a decision A crisis decision that was just a decision because we're in training. Wouldn't it be better spiritually? Let me put it to you this way. Some people, and you know this to be true, and I know you're the Sunday morning first service crew and y'all are the cream of the crop. How many of you know I tell all the services that? Okay. I just want to get that out of the way so it didn't come back to bite me. You know this is true. You know this is true that some people, they know how to pray, but the only time they really pray is when they're in crisis. Come on. And you know to go to church, you know that's true. 
But how many of you know that some people only come to church really when there's, when there's crisis? After 9-11, churches across this land were filled to the gills. Why did people make that move to church? Because they knew they should have been there all along. But now crisis forced a decision on them. What's going to happen? I don't know. I need help from above, from beyond myself. And so crisis forced a decision for them. It would be better that our decisions are not forced, but they're chosen through training. It would be better that we're, you know, just go back to the physical training analogy that we're giving ourselves to exercise and running and eating right and resting right and doing all those things. I mean, no, we're going to be better off by choosing to do that by training than eventually getting to the place that by crisis we're forced to do it. You with me? Okay. Now bear in mind this whole idea here that crisis literally means a decision, a decision. Because decision is huge in this whole idea. Now, I want to to take it to the next level here. A decision, if we're going to make progress, if if there's going to be increase in our life, if we're we're going to advance in our life, if we're going to move toward our goal. And and forgive me for saying it again, but repetition is a wonderful teacher. If we're going to be more happy, stable, fruitful, and blessed so that we can really be a blessing, a decision is vital. You're not just going to fall into this. This is not just going to happen. You're not just going to wake up one day. You know what? I, I'm a lot more stable and fruitful and happy. No, there's, there's, you're going to have to train for this. You're going to have to cooperate with your trainer for this to happen in our lives. A decision is required, yet our progress, our change, our growth does not happen just because you make a decision. There's a huge gap There's a huge gap between what we know to do and want to do and what we actually do. Come on, bob your head with me. There's a huge gap between what we know to do and want to do and what we actually do. Proof, New Year's resolutions. I need to do this. I want to do this. I know to do this. I'm going to Google how to do this. And by January 4th, what? We're back where we were. Why? Because we tried. We were sincere, but you know what? There's a better way to get there and it's, it's through training, but there's this huge gap. The apostle Paul dealt with the same gap. And I just want to touch on this briefly. There are things that Paul wanted to do, Paul, things that Paul knew to do, but Paul said, I can't seem to do them. Let's read here from Romans chapter seven, verse 14 through 25. And I'm reading this from the new living. It says, so the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and good. Let me stop right there. Remember my summer assignment for you? Read the book of Romans and Galatians, okay? And read them slow. Read them slow. I want you to really understand. Romans and Galatians will set you free. Well, one of the things we find out from the law is the law is not there just for us to try to keep it. The law is there to show us that we can't keep it and that we need a savior. Y'all with me? So those that bind themselves under the law, I can't keep all the law. That's why the law is there to show you That you can't keep it and that you are flawed and you need a savior to help you and you put your faith in him and he fulfills the law then and he helps you in this. Anyway, read Romans, read Galatians on this. Let's read on. Paul says with that in mind, he says, so the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and good. It serves its purpose. The trouble is with me for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. 
But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So that I'm not the one doing wrong, it is sin or the sin nature living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin or the sinful nature living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power. Watch this. There is another power within me that is at war with my mind. You've got to be aware of this. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me? Now, Paul is building this all up. He's not just commiserating. He's not just saying, oh, this is so bad, so bad. He's leading up to something. He's drawing you in by saying, listen, you're dealing with the same thing I've been dealing with. And then he says this, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? He's been trying. He's been trying. He's been trying. He's been trying. He says, how am I going to break out of this horrible cycle? Who will help me with this? Verse 25. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, let me read it from the Amplified. It says, oh, thank God he will through Jesus Christ, the anointed one, our Lord. In, in the verse 24 and 25 in the message, it says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to, to do something totally different. Your sin nature, your fallen nature, and, and listen to me, look at me. Do not deny that it is there. How many of you know that you cannot trust your flesh? How many of you know that is a constant battle? You have this sin nature and you've got this, it's like there's two of you. There's this you that loves God, wants to serve God, loves, wants the things that God wants. And there's a part of you that is just, it's an enemy. It's contrary. Romans will tell you about that. It's just contrary to all of that. How are we going to get out of this thing? How do we break this cycle? How do I overcome that? It's constantly warring against your will and it's constantly warring against your mind. Well, guess not. This is not just a street fight. This is a prize fight. And we get in training for this and we study our enemy and we come to understand that sin nature so that we can train to overcome it. But this is the thing. We've got to have some help from beyond ourselves, obviously. Obviously. So who is going to help us? Thank God. It's Jesus. The same one who freed us at the start. He's the one who's going to help us in this. He broke the power of sin. He brought the presence and power of God into our lives. Philippians 2.13 in the New Living says, For God is working in you. Go ahead, go ahead and say that. God is working in me. If God is working in you, what should you do? Cooperate. And look what he's doing. God is working in you, giving you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. What you're aware of is the desire. What you need to be aware of is the power. And God is at work in you. Say it again. God is at work in me. And what he's doing, he's giving you the desire. Just the fact that you have the desire to do right is God at work within you. And it's coupled together and it is not, there is no seam in this. It's just coupled together that he has given you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him.
Now, let me take this just a little bit further and we're going to wrap this up this morning. Life is not static. I'm going to wrap all this up for you. Life is not static. Things cannot stay the same. Progress is desired. Progress is required. Decisions must be made. Either because of one form or another of crisis, it's calling for a decision. You've got to make a decision. But get this. But even with a firm decision that you've purposed in your heart, we're still going to need some help. We're still going to need some power from beyond ourselves. We need a power source to help us. Now, let me illustrate this the best way that I can right now. A decision, you must make a decision. That's the first thing. You must make a decision that I'm going to overcome this, that I want to do. Does anybody here want to do what pleases God? You, you want to achieve the goals that I've talked about here? We have the desire. We need to make the decision. When you make the decision, follow me on this. When you make the decision, you put the key in the ignition, you turn it on, and you put it in gear. You take the brake off, it's on, and we're in gear. But guess what? There's this weight and drag that is created by the sin nature that you can't overcome with just the decision. So what you're going to have to have is a powerful motor. And the motor, the engine, the power, y'all with me? Is God. I'll, I'll show you what it is in just a second. It's God's presence, God's power, and God's wisdom. I'll come back to that in just a second, but get this. You have to decide. Everybody say decide. You have to decide. And when you decide, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to do better. I'm going to make progress. You have to decide because that takes the brake off. That turns it on. That puts the transmission in gear. But you don't have the power to overcome the drag and the weight of the sin nature. And you're sitting there, it's running, it's in gear. And I can't get anywhere because of this load. That's because you need his motor. You need his power, which is what? Follow me. It is his presence. It is his power. It is his wisdom. Those are the three big New Testament ideas. Everything else, grace, peace, everything else is found in his presence, in his power, in his wisdom. And when you're close to and cooperating with his presence, his power, and his wisdom, guess what happens to you? You start to be more happy, stable, fruitful, blessed, and you become a blessing. So let me tell you what I'm doing with this whole thing. And I initially was just going to do this for a few weeks, but we're probably going to finish out the summer in training. Okay. This is what the whole deal is about. Spiritual disciplines. And there's a bunch of them. Spiritual disciplines. As soon as we hear spiritual, we get a little spooked out. And then when we hear disciplines, we get turned off. But let me tell you, these are the practices that take place in training. That will take us to, get this now, the spiritual disciplines. Let me just throw a few of them out to you. You're doing one right now, coming to church. Praying. Uh, reading the Bible. Silence and solitude. Fasting. Celebration. Generosity. They're numerous. There's plenty of spiritual disciplines, practices that we do. And the, the spiritual disciplines, stay with me on this. The spiritual disciplines do not produce the presence, the power, 
and the wisdom of God. What they do, they are the steps along the path that take us to and maximize his power, his presence, and his wisdom. And when you and I are closer and closer to, and we're working with his power, his presence, and his wisdom, guess what happens? You start to be more happy, stable, fruitful, blessed, so that you can be a blessing. We make the decision. Hold up. We make the decision, but the decision is not enough. We, through spiritual disciplines and practices, will walk the path that will get us closer and closer to and maximize his presence, his power, and his wisdom. And you know the results of that. Let me just briefly illustrate this and then I'll close out this morning. How many of you have ever used a a handsaw or a hacksaw before? Okay, just about most of you. I remember times my, my stepdad would be building, always building something around the house. He was a carpenter and a builder and always doing stuff at home too. And so I either was playing with stuff or whatever, but I can remember taking the hacksaw or a handsaw. And this has happened hopefully to all of you. You try to cut the wood instead of the blade. Have you done it? <laughs> and what will it do? I mean, they just, they hug and kiss the wood, the, the wood and... <laughs> And I've had hacksaws before get all bent and everything. Why? Because I was trying to cut instead of allowing the blade to cut. Now, with spiritual disciplines, it's like that. You have to be there. You have to actively show up. But let the blade cut. And as we're in training and learning spiritual disciplines, we'll get that rhythm. We'll start to get that feel. How many of you have ever hit a baseball or hit a golf ball? How many of you have ever tried to kill the ball? I'm going to hit this one. You can't hit it. You have to let the bat hit it. You have to be there. You have to actively be involved. But you've got to learn the swing, the rhythm, and allowing the bat and the weight and everything else or the club, whatever it would be, to come through. And I'll tell you, it's a whole different story when you allow the club or the bat to hit the ball or the blade to cut the wood than you trying to do it. Instead, through spiritual disciplines, we learn to cooperate with God, with his presence, with his power, with his wisdom. And as a result, you know the rest. We're going to be happy, stable, fruitful, blessed. And you'll be a greater blessing than you ever thought you could be. Let's get in training. Amen. Did you get anything at all out of this?